Greetings, good people. Welcome to Who Knows It's Just Life, the podcast. I'm your host, Kyle. Thank you for fitting me into your day today. On today's episode, I have the pleasure of being joined by my younger sister, Kendra. Uh, Kendra is eight years younger than me. Uh, She went to the same high school as I did. Uh, She went to Penn for college. The only Ivy League of the three of us. We always say she's the smartest one of the three of us. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> um, but yeah, no, it's just it's just awesome to have a younger sister. Uh, my younger brother and I were only three years apart, so it was just us for for a bit. Um, but then having a third sibling and 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 for that sibling to be a sister was was super awesome and added a healthy dynamic to our <laughs> our familial situation. So yeah, welcome to the show, Kendra. And if you don't mind, just sharing a little bit more about yourself and how you identify. Yeah, um, I don't know really what to say, but I'm a, a sister, I'm an auntie, a daughter, a partner, and a, a, a game master. I run D&D for some friends. Uh, I also am like one of those astrology hoes. I'm into crystals and, and things like that, witchy sort of things. Um, yeah, I think that's former horse kid, former horse girl True. in a sense, like Obviously, we didn't have any horses growing up, but dancer, swimmer. I mean, you have so many things. <laughs> yes, I, I I volunteer with the local swim team. Um, I uh, yeah, I used to dance growing up. Uh, a lot of activities, uh, but yeah, I think when I I don't know, I'm happy to be here uh, <laughs> with my with my big brother, uh, who so much older than me that not less of a rough and tumble sibling more of a someone you would look up to and be like oh, okay that's what i'll do in my life Aww. <laughs> uh yeah <Aww>. i was <laughs> so not thanks. expecting that <laughs> so yeah thanks for having me yeah no problem my pleasure and i appreciate that that's that's crazy okay well that's good um so i know kenji you've heard a couple of episodes but just every time i have a guest on for the first time i just reiterate that the premise of the show is who knows it's just life with meaning that I don't know I'm still learning and this is just a public expression of that learning. I'm going to say something that I disagree with probably 30 minutes later, but <laughs> certainly later in life. Um, and, and obviously the concept, I, you know, I, I could say something that you might disagree with or listeners disagree with and, and it's okay. It's okay to have that conversation and learn through that. Um, and just allow, allow everybody to have that space and, and grace to grow a little bit in those ways. So um, I welcome you to challenge me if there's anything that comes up that, that uh, actually, <laughs> that reminds me of a story when, ooh, how many years ago was this? We were at mom's house for a, a family dinner, which obviously random, they was pop up randomly. And I asked you what I should do as a man to be a feminist. And you were like, Google it. <laughs> and I was like, <laughs> I was like, at first I was upset, but I was like, wait, this is what we black people say to white people. So I was like, this is, a, this, this is an appropriate response. But I was just like, come on, sis. Like, you, you can't. I was probably in college at you that were, time. Yes, that's, you were most definitely in college. And I was Very, like. Very like, arrogant at that time. But also true. And, no, yeah. I was, you know, it was a completely fair response. And I was just like, oh, damn. <laughs> but um, anyway, so yeah, you, you've, you've challenged me along the, along the years. And um. Yeah, I really appreciate it. So great to have you on. Um, so I guess when I f- first have a guest on, I'd just like to see how you're doing today, this week, this month, this year. What's going on with you? How are you feeling? Uh, that's a loaded question these days. I've been very busy. Uh, I think end of cancer season, uh, people get very emotional. I've had a lot of work things going on, a lot of stress. But also June um, last month was my birthday, so 
Uh, I just turned 28, and I'm, nice. you know, it was a really lovely birthday. Now they know how old I am, you see that? <laughs> I guess you can cut that if you want. <laughs> no, but. it's okay. That's all right. <laughs> but, um... Uh, but uh, on the whole, I mean, things are good. I, um, as, as you know, I play a lot of Dungeons and Dragons. So I, I run a campaign that I'm the game master or dungeon master for. They call that GM or DM. Um, my roommate who introduced me to the hobby runs a game um, that I am in. These are all uh, every other week games that I play. Um, and then my partner also runs a game that we do on Wednesday nights. We just had that. But aside from all of that, I also... Um, recently signed up for via discord i was connecting with more ttrpg fans ttrpg would be a tabletop role-playing game like dungeons and dragons um so long story short hopefully this weekend i'll be playing with some folks abroad in india um playing a one shot which is a you know you can play DD over years or you can play one or two sessions at a time so one shot would be a short game um and it's going to be at a higher level than I've ever played before, which I know if, if people listening don't know D&D, you're probably like, what are you talking about? But uh, it's exciting because I'll get to play a powerful character. I've only ever played mid-level powerful type of characters, and now I'll get to be like a really powerful wizard or whatever I want to be. That's cool. So that's exciting. I know you spent, I guess, a grand total of 16 months in India. You, you were there for like a summer and then a, and then a full year thereabouts. Mm-hmm. So I'm just Something curious. Like that, yeah. yeah, so... Are any of the folks you're playing with located anywhere near Calcutta and Bangalore or where, where you Great were? Great question. Yeah. So I did a summer program in Bangalore when I was in college. Um, altogether, it's probably about 10 or 11 months. I did a, then I did after college, uh, a nine month program in Calcutta uh, or Kolkata, however you want to say it. Um, so the people I'm playing with, the DM is based in Bangalore. So that's, mm. that's pretty cool. Um, I don't really know the people very well. Um, it's just from like this discord server that I joined, but, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm excited. Uh, I have no idea what the social dynamics are going to be. d and is a very social game, so it's good to know <laughs> kind of who, you, like, the, the sensibilities of who you play with. I won't know that, so it'll be interesting. But I'm, I'm really excited to get out there and try different things. I'm really curious about it. And, uh, and you even uh, have experienced me DMing for, for you and, and your kid. Yep, yep. <laughs> and That's our mom. Yes. And one of your kid's friends. Yep, so yep. <laughs> we... Uh, we got to play that, and actually, that made me really excited. I honestly would love to DM for kids more. I think that's a really fun thing to try out. Um, yeah, his Cub Scout troop. They uh, the the parents do. I think they do D and D amongst themselves, and they have expressed interest in having the kids do it too. So, oh, yeah, that's might be that's an opportunity exciting. For that. Yeah, definitely. That was a lot of fun. I would say that that was a lot of fun. You were great at at, at <laughs> orchestrating the whole thing. The kids were into it. Um, and yeah, it was, it was a lot of fun. Thanks. Y'all caught me. The, the adults caught me at the beginning, you know, did the classic start in a tavern, uh, thing. Anyone who knows D and D that knows that's like the very cliched opening and very classic en- entry level adventure is, Oh, there's a famine. And, uh, I was just doing the DM thing where you just go with it. The, what they call the rule of cool. And so, uh, your, your kid <laughs> sits down and is like, I want a burger. And I was like, okay, they give you a burger. And then you and you and our mom were like, you said there's a famine. Why do why do they have <laughs> True. burgers? Um, but I appreciated that because that was it was part of the important world building. But, yeah. But yeah, uh, it was super fun to play with y'all. And for you, Kyle, I feel like I know it's like a whole rabbit hole to get into. But I feel like playing with adults, you would have a lot of fun. It's it becomes a very nerdy game if you want it to be. Mm-hmm. It's kind of that. It's the sort of game where you can get really into the number crunch and really into statistics and probability, or you can just be like 
strictly role play and just really excited about character development and, and the creativity of like coming up with an uh, someone with an interesting backstory. Yeah. But I feel like for you and I, we could just <clears throat> go in there and be what they call min-maxers, like uh, where you try to build the most broken character possible to make the DM mad <laughs> because you can get around <laughs> anything that they present to you. Mm. I'm, I didn't mean to become that kind of player, but I, I am a little bit. <laughs> so, so what does that say about your personality and who you are as a person <laughs> and your astrological sign? <laughs> like, uh, it means that I uh, like numbers and I like... Uh, I really like fixated on D&D for a good portion of 2021 and honestly it's still ongoing but uh if you are willing to submit your yourself to that many hours like there's so many youtubers who will just tell you what the best combinations to try are and you want to try them all mm. um on the like website where you can keep your character sheets i have like 90 <clears throat> character sheets that most of which i've never played with i just like going in there and trying to see how i can get the most spell slots or like the biggest damage or the most like movement speed just to see how I can make the character the most broken. They call it, they say broken, meaning like the most effective and broken as in breaking the game, as in like <laughs> defying what the game expects you to be able to do at your level. Um, yeah, that does sound kind of fun, kind yeah. of subver- subversive or like yeah. sabotaging almost. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah. We can t- definitely circle back and talk a little bit more about that a little later. And, and I, and I also, <laughs> we also have shared a few literary, uh, adventures as well with like nk jemison i'm curious how that ties oh, yeah, into yeah. um the the dnd stuff because i know that had a very white you know origin and, mm. and i know there's a lot of effort now to make it more inclusive and all that but we can touch on that in a yeah, little bit so we can talk about that later and uh later on i'll talk about i, I started a blog it's very little is on it now but i'm planning to talk a lot more about like race in mm. D and race in the ttrpg space because what I've created with my table is very different than what you would find at the typical D&D table. And I want to be able to bring that to more people to, to show them that you can play D&D, but you can do it totally uh, African-based. Or that, that's what my setting is, is, is uh, an African-based setting. But you, you can modify things. You can change things. You don't have to do... Like, D&D's mechanics very much are about violence. So, like, if you want to do something that's not violent, play a different game. There's, there's so there's such an indie space of just different kinds of games you can play if you just want to role play but if you want to do do a game where you're essentially a murder hobo running around killing things uh dnd is great and you can adapt it to any setting it doesn't have to be medieval europe or anything like that but right. we'll we'll talk about that more later cool cool sounds good so as um as i was thinking through talking with you or one of the things that has always struck me as we've gotten older is how different our experiences have been throughout various mm. key junctures in life. And technically, we're both millennials, mm-hmm. but it seems like we're worlds apart in terms of our, how we've experienced, I guess, the idea of being a millennial or just mm. or, or just experience the world in general. So, so yeah, I just think it'd be fun to talk through some of those, some of those differences. And maybe there's a, a more similarities than I'm giving credit to, but it just seems like there's a lot of differences. Mm. Um, and, and one that, that comes to mind for me is like in high school – for me, for me in high school, it was very, it was like, I mean, I, one thing we were just talking about, when I was in high school, it was like, this is like the early 2000s, and the word gay and the R word were used interchangeably with like dumb or stupid or whatever, just to be like, oh, that's dumb or whatever. Like those, those words were just like, no questions asked, just like interchangeable with any like base, cheap, dumb, like silly insult or just like a a way to just downplay something mm. or whatever. And I think by the time 
you got to high school, that had diminished a bit. And correct me if I'm wrong, but like, and, and I think there's just way more awareness to both of those two words being not, you know, not being used in that way. And I think our high school in, in particular was aided by the fact that we had a special needs program at the school, too, which I think helped with the R word. But what's your take on that? Yeah, yeah. I think those things really ring true for my middle school experience, which I think makes sense because, well, I guess when I was in middle school, you were already... You're already in college anyway. But uh, I I do remember a lot of of the R word. And I feel like we also used gay a lot. But the the thing that I found in my life is that I grew up and most of my friends are LGBT in some way or another. So it actually adds a whole different uh, meaning to, to, you know, if you and your friends are calling each other gay when you're 12 and then you all end up to be gay. It's kind of kind of different but True. Uh, <laughs> but it definitely was still an insult and i think um something that's very iconic at least for people around my age everyone remembers the hillary duff psa everyone loves to joke that this ended ended saying gay as an as a insult but there is like a psa that was a commercial you'd see on tv of two girls shopping and someone's like oh that looks so gay and then hillary duff the disney channel superstar Disney Disney Channel Plus superstar uh, happens to just be in the store with them and says, hey, that's not okay," And gives them like a whole like lesson on it. Um, So I do think gay was fading out a little bit. And by the time I was in high school, there were definitely people who were out. Definitely very small number compared to the number of people who identify as LGBT from my high school cohort now. But there, there were some people who were out at the time. With the R word in particular, um, actually, since I was involved with the Best Buddies uh, club at my at at our school, we actually did a, a campaign at some point uh, where we went around to different classrooms and just kind of encouraged them not to use the R word. And we had students from the special needs program and myself and other leaders from our best buddies program go around and be a part of that. But I do think at that time the R word was already starting to fade out. But uh, it was a nice. I think it was a interesting campaign and we were able to kind of hopefully encourage some people to stop using it. So yeah, I was still around, but I think it had declined a bit. I mean, nowadays even, I still use the word dumb a lot, but I'm actually trying to move away from it and just mm, change mm. my... <laughs> when I want to insult someone, I try to say something more about the way they're behaving, like that they're a jerk. Um, there's also the, oh, that's wild, or, or yeah. the classic... Well, damn, that's crazy is also... Crazy is also kind of like in dumb and insane. Those are words that I'm like yeah, those trying are... to move away from, but I yeah. haven't fully been able to myself, but... Yeah, I do think, like, in general, we're being a lot more intentional about language, and I think that's generally a positive thing, um, yeah. but yeah. Yeah, I, I catch myself saying saying crazy, and what was what was first for me was trying to really be cognizant and really just not say a woman was crazy, mm. like, because that, that was my first, like, oh, mm. yeah, that's not okay. Um, but really, just the the utilization of crazy as loosely as we do when mm. when you know mental health is at a is is at a crisis really worldwide. Honestly, um, that's not okay either. And so that's been a more recent add on to that. But that's hard. That's hard to. Yeah. You know, it's been harder to and do that. Something I'd add to that is like I um, the the spaces I'm in online and social media and my immediate friends. I'm like in my friend group. I'm like the token happy childhood person. <laughs> like mm. I'm the token person that doesn't have a ton of childhood trauma. So a lot of I feel like it's the norm now in my friend group and in my cohort that most people do have either mental health struggles or specifically mental illnesses. So I do think I'm in online spaces where those words are still used, but it's sometimes it's just people using it. But sometimes I think people are reclaiming those sorts of terms and things. But that's not for me to do so much as other people. Sure. But. Yeah. 
Yeah, that's something that I, I talked about when when I talked to mom and dad on here. Like, we were very privileged, not only with just our relative economic, socioeconomic, mm. you know, resources available, but all, but really, it was it was really a trauma free environment that, mm-hmm. we, that we grew up in. I think for for the most part, I, I want to yeah. say no, there wasn't big T trauma. Big, in our, right, right, right. Maybe and, like lower, like a lot of people have lowercase T trauma. Like you know, little things can be traumatic, and it sure, it, you know. But big T trauma was not really a part of our childhood. Yeah. yeah. So, and I, one thing that also happened was that the, the school in the area got mm. blacker too. I mean, <laughs> I, like in, in my in my day, it was is a really healthy mix between like I was like I think it was like forty percent black, thirty percent white, twenty percent Asian, like ten percent mm. Latinx, whatever. Like it was just like literally everybody: six Jews, Muslims, Christians, like mm-hmm. every kind of everybody was there. Like there was an Indian girl from Guyana. And, like, mm-hmm. we all knew the history, you know what I mean? Like, there were enough Asians there to know that Asian is a dumb word because everybody's from somewhere. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, so it's like, you know, but anyway, so I guess, but I think the school was starting to become more black as gentrification was happening in D.C. Mm-hmm. A lot of folks coming out into the suburbs a little bit more. A lot of, Some of the dynamics were changing. Um, so I don't know. I, I don't know if you have any thoughts on that. Yeah, it's funny. Those percentages you shared are, like, the same percentages I would often share about my time. But that begs a question of, were they the same or was I quoting you <laughs> or or was it that like we didn't know like maybe I didn't know the most updated numbers but I knew roughly I do think I do remember from middle school to high school I remember my middle school had a lot more Salvadorans specifically like high mm. school there's still Latin a, Latinx people but um I feel like middle school is a lot more but yeah high school is like 20 percent Asian but mostly Korean of, of that or I mean it was definitely a mix like definitely in our neighborhood growing up had some Korean folks, but a lot of Chinese Vietnamese folks, a lot of Filipino folks. Um, but yeah, I so yeah, it's funny. Mentally, I have the same breakdown in my head for my time, but it was probably shifting a bit. Definitely, because mm-hmm. um, white flight was taking place here. Yeah, during our childhood. Right. Yeah, like literally, mom has you know from her episode, you know, mom has those white flight stories of, yeah. of other families from the neighborhood who left. But yeah, I do the 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 demographics have gotten blacker and. Uh, I think that's kind of cool. I, mm-hmm. whatever the actual breakdown was when I was in school, I going to college and, and going out and seeing more things and even seeing white kids I grew up with go to college and realize how different it is. It's like, I really wish more people got to experience more people. And I'm saying people because I mean people of color and white people. I wish more people got to experience uh, that environment where white people were not the majority. And I will say, I think that even without white people being the majority, with them still being a big chunk, white supremacy culture, like still, you know, institutions and things were still very white run when I was growing up. Like the the parents that are most involved in the PTA are still majority going to be white parents. Like mm-hmm. those things are still in place. But on the on the level of kids, you really, yeah, you really get to see whiteness a little bit decentered compared to the rest of the world, and I think that everyone should experience that. I think people of color deserve to feel that because sure. it's nice, um, and I think that white people should feel that just to know that you know <laughs> that it exists and they aren't actually the center of the universe. Right. Um, which I mean, and people get those experiences other ways, and there's plenty of people who are immigrants and they they know what it's like to be in a place that they're the majority or that it's um, even homogenous. But I just think that that's such a that's such a thing I value from our childhood. Yeah. Is, is growing up being aware of different cultures. And it's something I've realized as I grew older is that I was aware of different cultures, but to different levels of depth. So, like, I knew we knew tons of Ethiopian people, Eritrean people, yeah. but I haven't known them super deeply. Like, I didn't have 
I had friends, but I didn't have necessarily as many friends that were Ethiopian who I'd go to their homes. Yeah, that was what I was going to say. Is like, how many how many people of different cultures who's did you enter their homes? Yes, of, and that like, partially also has to deal with their cultures too. True, is like true. is not having friends over, so you might have school friends you don't see at home. Um, but and but then you know a lot of white kids whose parents do have play groups or whatever, and so you you would get to see them more. Um, but also for me growing up, I had a lot of really close uh, Chinese Taiwanese friends. Mm. And so, and those are people whose houses I would go to sure. after school. So I think, uh, yeah, I just, the more I got older, the more I realized, like even when I went to India after college, I was like, oh yeah, I did not know a lot of these cultural things that I might've known if I had gone to people's houses, houses more. Yeah. Um, though, I, I mean, I did have spattering of friends and I did go to people's houses, but uh, I do think that that plays a role as well as like who's, who, who was school friends versus friends you would see at home. Sure. Yeah, that's that's definitely a big difference, and it's really a cultural thing. Like, I can think of friends who's con- – and, and I've some, I'm going to say some, and I might, it may have only been there once just as part of, like, a sports drop-off mm-hmm. pickup or whatever, but even just coming into the home and, like, smelling the, mm. co- the food and just, mm. you know what I'm saying? Like, so I, I was in – Seeing I, decorations. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I was, in a, I was in an Eritrean home, a Bangladeshi home, mm. a, a lot of time there, a Dominican – uh, Chinese, uh, Korean, I think. Jewish, <laughs> I mm-hmm. mean, you know, um, black, you know. Yeah, um, for sure, black. For I, sure I forgot black. to mention that too. And lots of diversity within blackness too, of course. Of course. Um, yeah, I don't know, and I'm probably forgetting some, but those are some that, that come to mind. That I mean, most people probably have don't have that many different types of homes they've been into. Yeah, and especially from childhood too. Yeah, like uh, at like ten or fifteen or whatever. Yeah, like thinking even of just neighborhood kids that I would hang out with, even in middle school, high school, was able to walk to their houses, like having like a black American friend, like that was one of the, like, you know, my friend Robert, like we would hang out at his house all the time, had a Pakistani American friend who lived across the street, but we were, we were not at his house as often. Mm, yeah. Um, but we, but I would see him at Robert's house. So it's, right, right, right. it's actually interesting uh, to think about that as well. Um but yeah. That's cool. Also, I had the experience, uh, like, a millennial experience of, like, before cell phones were super common for kids to have, of, mm. like, in middle school, uh, literally calling up people's houses. Oh, yeah, Like, calling landline. landlines and, and saying, like, to their parent, like, hi, can I speak to so-and-so? Like, I had a, <laughs> my friend Jennifer and I would do, like, these three-way calls, and we'd be calling up everyone that we were <laughs> friends with and just, like talking like the experience of having to talk to someone's mom or dad before yeah. you can talk to them on the phone I'm, so that's something we have in common though so and that's something mm. i wouldn't have necessarily thought that we both but that had was just do. i was the tail end of that i think i got my okay. cell phone end of eighth grade so by oh, high school that's man. it's not a thing as much anymore i mean some of those friends i do have both their numbers in my phone and like if they didn't pick up their cell i'd call their their landline but right yeah i, I don't think i got a cell phone until i was like 16 or 17 mm-hmm. which is crazy and, and i was late because i also mm, didn't drive yeah. right away either a lot of kids that were as soon as they were driving they had a cell phone mm-hmm. you know it's a dangerous pairing but um <laughs> but yeah I, I i didn't drive till a little later and i think that's when i got a cell phone around 17 aim did y'all use aim yes okay yes i used aim mostly in middle school i feel like it died down in high school probably because we had cell phones yeah. and i feel like when I, by the time i got a cell phone it's when unlimited texting was beginning to become the norm like not everyone had it oh yeah but oh. and then the free nights and weekends did y'all do the blackberry thing the, or not the blackberry the um sidekick remember that? i didn't have a sidekick but yeah i feel like troy was the sibling yeah, yeah, yeah. that had a sidekick but he probably bought it himself he did he, he was the cool he was the cool <laughs> whereas i was just like i'll take whatever he was the coolest one you're the smartest one and i'm just 
him uh, I think you're <laughs> way smarter than me, no. Kyle. I think I'm, I don't know. No. But, um, but yeah, also something I remember you talking about, I remember one time you were talking about freshman year in college, trying to get girls numbers and how, yes. how that was. And I, I just realized like by the time I was in college, it's all social media. It's all Facebook, finding someone's yeah. Facebook. And then by the end of my college, like, and here's that thing where I'm on the cusp of, uh, Gen Z is like. Well, I don't even know. I don't think Gem Z uses uh, Instagram anymore. But, like, I remember end of... I got my Instagram late, and it was, like, towards the end of college. But I was, like, a late adapter to Instagram. Not as late as me. (laughs) (laughs) Well, here's the thing is, like, when I think about our millennial differences, I also... I always have to put in the caveat that you didn't use social media for a good, like, decade in the middle there. I know. And I think that's been so central to my millennial experience. Hmm. I I think that a lot of my identifying as a millennial is being in college and reading media and being on social media and watching people who are maybe closer to your age or closer to Troy's age kind of figure their shit out <laughs> like mm-hmm. on those like websites like thought catalog or th- those websites where people just post any article it doesn't really it's not really reviewed i was just consuming so much about what it means to be an adult from people who were about your age but through social media and yeah. via via the norms of social media yeah yeah that's cool that's interesting i know for for me, it was really weird because, yeah, I think I was the last year of college kids who had to go and ask people for their numbers because mm. Facebook did not exist. Mm-hmm. Um, and the the following summer, the next the next class coming in, they already had 100 friends on Facebook. You know, mm-hmm. so, some of them might have been from college, from, fr- from mm-hmm. friends mm-hmm. and then the way social media works, extensions of that. So or you, you meet at um orientation and you just link up on facebook from there we had to get people's numbers at orientation not even not even orientation for me um it was before that it's yeah you get it like in a school like like you pen like you get accepted and then there's a facebook group for accepted students oh wow and so before (laughs) summer before facebook there were already personalities that everyone knew like there were people who once you got to campus like i remember driving up to campus uh and like starting to unload the car outside the dorm and i saw a guy and i was like oh my gosh that's the cake guy Mm. because there was a picture of him on the accepted students group where he was holding a cake but like it wasn't even the cake it was like because his arm was really muscular and everyone was like that guy so everybody already knew yeah and so like i he was literally one of the first people i saw when we pulled up at the dorm um and it was like a celebrity spotting and there were also like meetups like i definitely met up with a small group of people who were in the dmv before uh before going so yeah, we were super connected, and also I think in terms of like getting someone's number it feels a little more daunting, but getting someone's Facebook is like, it's yeah, natural. It's like, and and yeah. then once you have someone's Facebook, you can, at, when I was in college, one of my main ways of talking to people is through Facebook Messenger. So once you have someone's Facebook, you uh, can message them. Yeah. There's not like a barrier to that. And as y'all well. didn't have the whole awkward um, poke phase, did y'all? I mean, for me, that was like high school. That was like ninth grade. <laughs> 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 that was like maybe eighth grade, ninth grade. And then like having like... What do they call them, like, bumper stickers or whatever? Like, that you would have, like, stickers on your profile? hmm Anyway, yeah. So I'm just looking up. So you got to college. You, well, you graduated high school in 12? hmm Okay, so I was just looking up. Facebook started in 2004. Mm-hmm. YouTube started in 2005. Mm-hmm. Twitter in 2006. Instagram in 2010. So I was two years into my career when Instagram came out, mm-hmm. if that's correct, yeah, that's so that, that's a big difference. 2010, right? So like, and I started college when YouTube came out. 
Like I finished, <laughs> I finished high school without YouTube. I cannot imagine my prepubescent brain without YouTube. Right. I was literally like eleven, watching Smosh video, Smash whatever, yeah. Smosh videos, whatever, like melting my brain with YouTube content. <laughs> <laughs> it's just so crazy to think like all of those things existed before you graduated high school. Like I was in college or out of college before some of those things. Yeah. Like and and I think the first. The first iPhone was 06 as well, I think. I was in college when that took place, but they were mm. extremely expensive. Mm-hmm. And then the first Google phones were, like, I, I didn't mm. get a smartphone until I was a couple years into my professional career. Wow. Yeah. 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 Had a BlackBerry. <laughs> <laughs> Had a company-issued BlackBerry, like, that right out of college. tracks. <laughs> that tracks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so that, that whole social media thing is crazy. That's wild. Okay, so that kind of leads to, like, cancel culture <laughs> to oh, a degree. Because I feel like, and we don't have to talk too long about this because mm. I know it's a rabbit hole, but I feel like with social media, with just our, like, ability to, to reach strangers and group, large groups of people quickly, there's just this sway of, like, I mean, you, you hear of, like, black Twitter. There's, like, just, mm. just like, internet organisms and, and social... Mm things that exist Mm -hmm. and sway and so you know those things are kind of beautiful in their own way some of them can be problematic when you think of like you know like alt-right stuff and whatnot but you know with cancel culture i think it's interesting i'm I'm curious how you perceive it because i kind of i kind of have a bittersweet i kind of probably don't like it more than i like it but i'm not Mm. curious how, how you feel about it yeah i feel a lot of ways about cancel culture and i feel like it's changed over the years but i think that the the history the foundation of cancel culture is really about people and i'm pretty sure starting even with black women just like letting giving people a heads up of who you don't want to interact with Mm. and i think in the internet age with social media and everything it's become it means something different now to people but i think that When we talk about canceling like Louis C.K. or canceling Dave Chappelle, like what you you actually don't mean anything because they're still working. They're still booked and busy. They actually are not being materially affected other than they're like a public having public scandals. They're not actually like losing money or status. Um, So I think that a lot of times when people talk about cancel culture, they're just complaining that people are being vocal and it's actually not affecting the people that they're so desperately worried about being canceled. I do think when it comes to like regular people that are not celebrities, that's a whole different thing. And Mm. I think that I think when someone with a big platform, such as a celebrity or like a micro celebrity, because right now we have all these tiers of celebrity, there's like Mm. niche celebrities, there's micro celebrities. Um, I think when someone with a big following um, tries to call out someone or cancel someone who is just (laughs) like not a public persona, not a public figure, I think that's a big problem. Yeah. And so, like, when it comes to, like, that kind of canceling, I'm not a fan. But when it comes to, like, telling people that someone is transphobic or that someone is an abuser, like, I think that's actually normal and we should do that. And I think that a lot of times when we, quote unquote, cancel those people, they actually do not suffer that many consequences. That's good. And I appreciate the framing you just offered because I think it's, it's I was going to say easy. That's probably a lazy word to use, but... When it's celebrities, people that we don't mm-hmm. personally know, it's one thing to type, you know, a sentence or two and, and have an opinion around that. And and again, whether or not that has a financial impact or that really moves the needle for them or their followers or, or their craft mm-hmm. or whatever it is, that's probably not a, not so great deal. But I think when we when there's a cancelable moment with people we actually know, mm-hmm. 
I mean, my 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 preference would be that we talk about like I, somebody needs to get called out, mm-hmm. and hopefully it's done with a degree of maybe hopefully a degree of compassion, maybe so that there can be some growth and some some learning. Maybe there's no longer a relationship here, but like, mm-hmm. but hopefully like there's a, a seed that's planted or a seed that's watered that hopefully will germinate and will yeah. spark some ideas. Um, cause so, and, and I, so I think it's, so I, I don't know. I think the word cancellation doesn't even really, af- may not apply as easily to mm. human beings that we actually know. I think there's always going to be a point where it's like, okay, yeah, I don't deal with that person anymore. Yeah. And like a personal cancellation is, is one thing, but I think having a, having a more widespread conversation and the problem with, is with the internet and social media is that like, there's just often not private conversations anymore. Like the for example for example like the diaspora wars like it's like those conversations are what happening are the diaspora wars like the whole like <laughs> I'm under africans rock. versus black americans oh, and like the pointing fingers and stuff like uh not to get into that i'm i'm not going to get into that but just the concept of like those conversations that discourse quote unquote will be happening on twitter and white people are watching it and mm. weighing in and it's like okay actually some of some conversations are meant for closed Closed mm. rooms. And the internet is not a closed room 98% True. of the time. Um, and I also think when it comes to cancellation, I think a lot of times celebrities use that as like a, like, don't cancel me or I don't want to be canceled and as a way to get sympathy. And I, I don't really like that. I'm like, if you're mm. doing messed up shit, like, we should call you out and, like, we should have a conversation about it. And I agree, though, that the thing is the internet doesn't foster dialogue about these things it's actually just it's and i think another sorry another thing about that is i think within this quote-unquote cancellation culture one thing that does happen is people forget words have meanings Mm. so for example scandal scandal so and so um molested someone suddenly that becomes rape like just through the internet telephone game suddenly Mm. it's like oh this person is a rapist and it's actually like actually words mean things and not to say that molestation is not bad it's just like we need to not conflate terms we need to not conflate terms so that we're saying oh this person um said something that was a little racist and now it's like suddenly people think that he said the n-word like like i think that a lot of times things get lost in translation once someone becomes canceled people start catastrophizing the language and then suddenly we're t- we're using one term but it's actually not at all related to what happened i'm and again i'm not here to like feel bad for celebrities like i don't think that i'm not saying that i i tend to be on the side of people complaining about cancel culture don't know what cancel culture is is, is basically my viewpoint is like there's a lot of things we talk about when we say cancel culture and i think it's better to just like clarify exactly what we mean and and really follow the power dynamics and the money is is anyone losing money is anyone losing livelihood and what is the power dynamic is is it like a bit person with a big following and a and a lay person or is it a lay person calling out a person with a big following i think yeah. you really got to look at the power and that's the dynamics there that's a very good point i i know i know you mentioned Chappelle. Mm. I, I don't know. I don't know if you heard my episode on Chappelle. Where I did not finish I, where, it. Okay, okay. Where I landed was, I agree that a lot of what he says, and and agree that some like some of the content, some of the word choices, some of the things he says is problematic. Um, I, because of what else he does, I was trying to fall and and I've never 100% liked or agreed with like any one particular episode or Mm -hmm. anything so there's always Mm -hmm. he's always just pushed the buttons right Mm -hmm. but where I wanted to land 
mm-hmm. and it was uncomfortable. But I wanted to land in a place where it's like, yeah, I don't like that stuff, but I still like him as an artist or as, mm. as a comedian. And I, I don't want to just out and out cancel him because I think that he has value. But I welcome being challenged on that. <laughs> yeah, I think. I mean, so to be honest, when the Dave Chappelle stuff was happening, I was not, I specifically chose not to super pay attention to it because I knew people I love really like him. (laughs) And I think that, um, and it's funny because I like, in some of my other circles, like, uh, I remember I was I was talking to some people over Zoom and like a bunch of white people who are like queer and trans were like, oh, well, who else is canceling their Netflix today? And I was like what's this about and they were like oh obviously Chappelle and I was like oh I didn't even (laughs) realize that's like we were at that point we're at that stage whatever whatever the thing is um I for me it's when people double down that they're correct is when Mm. I start to get mad so I feel like he has Mm. doubled down triple quadruple and I'm not a fan of that so I but again I did not directly engage with a lot of what was going on I know it's been transphobic I know he has trans friends but uh to take another example is like JK Rowling who is mm. also someone who posits that she has queer and trans friends. Um, I don't know. Like, I and you, think and you that were, if, you were a Harry Potter reader at the time. Yes. Um, I read all so of much. Harry Potter after all of the books came out. I did not read them as they ca- came out, but okay. I read them after Later. the fact. Uh, well, I was still like young. Uh, yeah, I was yeah, like yeah. in high school and I read them, but they had all already released all this to say, I think I'm not going to say that you can't enjoy early Chappelle stuff or, or like you can't enjoy reading Harry Potter, but I do think it's important to deplatform people who are doubling down on being transphobic and yeah. because transphobia actually like materially hurts people. People die because yes. of transphobia that exists and, and permeates our culture. Yes. So I don't think that there's room for bargaining on that, but I do, I, I'm someone who's not like black and white on, you can no longer consume media by that person. I think what you, what we need to do is deplatform those people and try to limit their their like you know not limit their streams of income because we cannot like control that but i think like in terms of and, and it's a personal decision for everyone i'm not telling people what they should do but i think for me it's a question of if i rewatch a harry potter movie on a a channel that has it syndicated or whatever like fine but i'm not going to pay money for a ticket to the new movie that's coming out gotcha. i'll like illegally stream that or whatever <laughs> or, or you know like if, if i really need to see it, which i i have not watched the recent harry potter movies but just as an example yeah, for sure if you want to consume that media if you can find ways that doesn't actually contribute to their income that's nice and it's also an individual thing like i mean that's not going to change her material like life that i did not pay for a movie ticket but at the same time i think that's kind of where i personally fall is like if there's media that I loved that has aged really poorly, Mm. I don't think I have to stop consuming that media, but especially like if it's something that's old, it's like, well, consuming that media is not changing anything about my relationship to that author today or that creator today. I mean, the one, one awkward one for me, like, and I I can throw, I I can throw away everything Kevin Spacey's done except for the usual suspects. Mm. That movie, it's I I just that's just I, that's still just one of my favorite movies, and mm. I know I remember watching that when I I was probably too young to be watching it, but you and Uncle Sean were watching it, and yes. I, I watched it with y'all, and I was, watched- my mind blown, my little mind blown. <laughs> <laughs> that's See, the only time I've seen you, the movie. <laughs> I remember I remember in high in college coming back, and you were watching Family Guy at like twelve or whatever years old. I'm like, how is Kendra oh, watching gosh, Family Guy? Family is Guy, rough. <laughs> like, come on. anyway. 
and there was way more liquor in the house when you were you were in high school. I I didn't I couldn't even be bad if I wanted to. I'm not the smartest kid. I'm the nerdiest kid. They weren't worried about me. <laughs> I, I mean, hey, <laughs> I don't think they're worried about any of us. Maybe Troy, but no. So now now you got to be on the show to defend himself. Um, but uh, anyway, all right, cool. So. Last last thing maybe to talk about with the genera- generational maybe well maybe two more things um it's just like how do you feel like the relationship to the economy has changed and that's a broad topic whether mm. you want to talk about just corporate stuff corporate structure money itself Bitcoin I don't know like how how are y'all seeing the yeah, the, yeah. the economic play I right mean now? for me this kind of ties in politically I feel as though. And maybe this is also just my niche. Like, I am mostly in online spaces that are LGBT focused and like people of color focused. Um, but I do think, in general, I've seen a shift where people are just really on board with with Marx. Like, pe- people really want to see a revolution or a general strike in our lifetime. Um, so I do think, and I and I think that shows through. So uh, one thing we were kind of talking about before is like the home ownership stuff. Is like yep. most of the people I know in my life today, like that I'm close with, are not even thinking it's within the realm of that of them being able to buy a house. Like it, yeah. home ownership is like a distant goal for many of us. I, and it's funny because I think previously when we spoke about this, <laughs> I was like, no one thinks it will happen. Now I'm seeing myself and others being like, I wish I could, I would like to if I could, and maybe maybe there's a way for me to to figure it out. But I think generally it feels like a pipe dream for most of us, like home ownership, stability. Like our economy has changed so much. Most employment now is at will. There's not really contract employment anymore. People feel real unstable about their jobs and about their livelihoods and about their student debt and. I think part of that, like, I did go to UPenn, and so, like, my UPenn friends, which I don't go on really Facebook uh, that much to be (laughs) seeing, but, like, uh, yeah, they are buying homes, they are getting promoted, they are getting second and third secondary degrees, Mm. Um, and some of of the, like, the friends from our community growing up, like, have have worked and saved and gotten to that point, Um, people who maybe had similar um, socioeconomic status to us Mm -hmm. are, like, striving for and reaching that, Um, but a lot of the people I find myself in the company of these days are just like, well, <laughs> that would be nice if we could ever. Right. Um, and I think that, uh, yeah, I think that a lot of people are really disenfranchised with capitalism. And I think something that we also kind of, I have a new friend at, at my job who is a quote unquote zennial, like Gen X millennial, not to be confused with Gen Z millennial, which would be a zillennial, <laughs> but a zennial, a Gen X cusp of millennial. Um, and we were, we've been talking about so some born things. like 80, 82. Yeah. Yeah. Early eighties, yeah. uh, born. And they were talking about how like a lot of the culture at my, or I, so I also work at a nonprofit. I don't work in a, in a corporate environment, but, um, nonprofits, we like to be very, uh, we like to virtue signal and be very like appear very progressive, but also a lot of the culture is a hustle culture of like, oh, people take the job here because it's like their pet project and they really would like to help the world. But their husband, because it's usually, it's a lot of women at my, at my job, but their husband at home is the one who makes the big money. And so like, that's how, like, you know, mm. it could be a lawyer couple where the the man works at a law firm and the woman works at our organization. Um, and so it's kind of like a lot of people don't go... What I'm realizing now after five years in nonprofit is that a lot of people go into nonprofit as like a passion project and not because they actually need 
to live. Mm. And so for younger nonprofit employees who are often people of color, often in the lowest positions, they're actually out here like Trying fighting for live. their lives. Right. <laughs> fighting eviction notices, fight like in in like uh in like low income housing <laughs> because the nonprofit doesn't pay that much. Um, but trying to align livelihood with passion and purpose. Yes. And that is is a struggle. Um, and so I think something that I realized, I was talking to our executive director the other day. I'm, I work in the Diversity, Equity, Inclusion Committee, of course, um, at my job. And I say, of course, because I'm one of the only black people available to take that position at my See, job. See, and that, that bugs me, but go ahead. Yeah, no, it, <laughs> it does bug me too. But um, so I was talking to the executive director with my other DEIC uh, Diversity Committee co-chair and uh, she said something, and I'm probably not remembering the exact way she said it. So, but like what I internalized from what she said was basically like these. I felt like she was doing another iteration of no one wants to work these days, which is like a thing that I saw a Twitter thread. <laughs> I saw a Twitter thread recently that was like a history of people don't want, don't want to work these days, and it went back to like 1890. <laughs> like people mm. have just always been saying people don't want to work these days, and it's like maybe it's because the conditions are bad, and we are heading into late stage capitalism, which is a term thrown around a lot by people my age. But um, meaning that it's the stage of capitalism where it starts. If you read Marx, it's like yes, yeah. capitalism into socialism, and eventually into, into communism, right? Yeah, it's like we're we're witnessing the freaky fall of capitalism. And I say freaky because it's like brands on social media trying to replicate memes that are popular right now and struggling to, to get the wording right. But um, anyway, so I was, I was talking to this, uh, to our ED, and she basically said something along the lines of sometimes people want to protect each other from being overworked, but you're actually being protected from opportunity. And that for me was a big, this was like a, a week or whoa, two whoa, whoa. ago. Run that back for me. She said... People uh, are protective about their work because they don't want to be overworked, mm -hmm. but they're actually being protected from opportunity, as in, like, they're not accepting oh. opportunity because they're like, I don't want to work extra. And that was a really big <laughs> aha moment for me. This was, like, a week or two ago, um, because I was like, that is such a generational divide, because even starting my job, like, that's kind of the thought, and, like, the directors in my job, it's like... Once you when you go above and beyond, you show that you can handle the work and then we can give you more work. And I think right now, a lot of people my age are awakening to like, no, if I'm doing more work, I get paid more. That's the point. Like uh -huh. you don't do unpaid labor. <laughs> so I think that is a big generational divide. And I think it, it gets framed as, oh, people don't want to work now. But it's actually that people are struggling in, under this economy and in inflation and they would like to be paid if they're going to do more work. Yep. Which, I mean, I think even our mom would probably disagree with this or, or kind of like have that viewpoint of like people these days are lazy and maybe that's true but i also <laughs> just kind of feel like it is what it is people people want their labor to be rewarded with compensation I, a lot of people are really on that vibe of like let's just move out to the countryside and so we can see the fruits of our labor like again in capitalism yeah. you become so separated from the value the, you're the producing mm -hmm. yeah yeah you're being you're being separated from the value you produce and i've seen so many more people you know the like cottage core movement is like an, a very like lesbian thing right now of like let's just move to the countryside and make our own food like let's have gardens let's try to participate as infrequently as possible with the mass economy because we'd rather just like have close friends around us and, and make what we and need just be in a safe space being yeah yeah safe, and, and so safe people, economic social cultural space exactly yeah. and like i think there is a big movement culturally right now of people my age of getting really into different domestic arts and different 
ways of making things like like I'm not really this person but my partner and one of my roommates some of my roommates actually multiple of them are just really into like learning how to do all these like things that we kind of don't prioritize anymore in our current economy of like learning how to build furniture learning how to make a make a big garden learning how to sew their own clothes like there's a lot of people my age doing that these days and I think it's because we're like waiting for capitalism to, to fall and we're like yeah. we're like we need skills we need <laughs> to have skills for what's that's coming. so real i've had that conversation in my head but i haven't done the mm. learning of those types of I things mean, yet. me neither i'm i'm not the person who's gonna make five home projects for myself <laughs> i'd well, rather plan for D D. but <laughs> right, right. And, and so that's that's an interesting thing because i, I you use the word lazy and i i mm. as i know you did i know you didn't go that track but I know you did some high school stuff with like physics and, and mm-hmm. I, we had, we went to a STEM leaning high school. Mm. Nature's lazy. Mm. Nature is lazy. A river flows because that's the easiest path, mm. right? Nothing in nature. Like if a lion is hunting, what do they hunt? The old gazelle or the young gazelle? You know mm. why? Cause it's easier. Work smarter, not harder. Exactly. That's <laughs> literally a law of that. nature. <laughs> no, it's true. So mm. like the fact that like we've con. con- we've created this capitalist system that convinces us and hood, it hood, hood, hoodwinked us into thinking that our value is in how hard we work when that's actually like against the mm-hmm. flow of nature. Like mm-hmm. that's not how it works around here. Um, and so like, and, and, and I was reading, I've tried to read this book called limited wants, unlimited means, mm-hmm. which is the flip of what capitalism says, unlimited wants mm. limited means mm-hmm. right which is like oh you gotta hustle for what you get like it's literally the opposite if you don't if you don't want as much literally the earth is abundant with everything we need mm-hmm. um and pre-agricultural revolution societies like we had wealth in the sense that we had time it it take it took a number of hours per person per week to eat mm-hmm. like so what do we do we were chilling yep like we were relaxing it was leisurely yes. Right, and now there's cer- there's a certain brutality to living custom to nature. Right, like, you're, right. You're not we can't get- like romanticize fully. Right, the past. there's going to be some hard truths with that. Right, right. So, and like there's there's work with farming. Like mm-hmm. you know that's not an easy way to live mm-hmm. necessarily, but mm-hmm. it, it is tied to y- your survival is tied to the fruits yes, of your own labor. Yes, it's like you you do that work and then you also enjoy that work. Like you enjoy the fruit of that work and right. then you rest because you actually physically can't not rest like yes. when you work a desk job people can convince you you can just keep working because you're sitting but it's like yeah. mental labor is a thing but when you're doing physical labor it's like it's not an option you gotta rest you have after to you yeah your body breakfast. will literally shut down yeah <laughs> yeah so i i think I, I i like that you use the word lazy because i really and so anyway i'm, I'm in line with yeah yeah with the generational shift of like questioning the system and you know Either, either just sitting back and letting it collapse or letting it kind of go down what Marx told us it would. Um, I do want to challenge folks that just uh, that accept Marx Marxist terminology because Engels and Marx studied indigenous peoples, mm. and that that stuff is deep within us and the vast majority of the world. And they put some, you know, they 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 studied it from a European lens and mm-hmm. capitalism, socialism, communism are white terms yeah. on what is really just a way of life that is kind of organic to humanity. If, if, we're, right. if, we're, if we're being honest. So I, I, I want to try to, I yeah. like, I like I mean, that investing from their terminology. There's just plenty because, of black socialists and communists out there that I, I have 
to admit that I have not read enough of their work, but I want to read more of it because yeah. I feel like people have improved upon, you know, Marx is, is you know, yeah. daddy communism but we can we can learn more about <laughs> sorry i couldn't help it because uh, that's the kind of memes that i see in my life like that's that's what i see on social media is people making like memes about daddy marks and things like that but um but i think that uh yeah i think there's other and also like the feminist angle like the feminist marxism is when i was in when i was studying for social work which i i didn't complete that program but when i was studying they were talking about these different frameworks and the feminist marxism really spoke to me because it also we also got to value the labor that's done inside the house. And I think like, mm. I mean, I, when I was growing up, our mom was working for most, like by the time I was seven, she was working. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Not for me. Yeah. Yeah. She, okay. But before, before that, before I was, when I was zero to seven and before that, when you were growing up, she was doing all the household work. And, and I yep. think that that gets devalued in, in, oh, capital, sure. in capitalism. Like, you know, patriarchal the, the, capitalism, yeah, for patriarchal sure. oh, yeah. capitalism yeah. is like, well, yeah, that's just stuff we don't talk about. That just gets done. And that's why we can't yeah. have divorce rates or you can't have single parent homes because there's no yeah. one to do that. But we also don't want to name that. That's but, valuable. Yeah. For yeah. that's i think different in our in our gener in our different parts of millennial and i'm you know at this point i'll say that i, I was born in 94 people say that gen z starts in 96 so in some ways between the two of us and within our family i am the zoomer in the sense that like if there's no you know there's not anyone else that fits that role right now so i'm kind of the closest to it but um something that mom and i were talking about a while back was gallup poll recently released this year that says that like for Gen Z adults, it's about one in five are LGBTQ, and I think one in six are like bisexual. And among like younger millennials, like the rates are just going up. Mm. And I think that that is something we're gonna see as a big change in the world is just like as people realize, like I think there's there's a problematicness to saying sexuality is a spectrum. I think it's more than that and and beyond that. But I think when you look at if you just take that as the basic concept of like there's so many things in between gay and straight, it it makes sense that as people become more aware of that being an option, you would think like there are people who are just gay and there are people who are just straight, but in the middle, there's so much space. Like you would imagine most people would just fall in that middle space. Into the space. That's and like so, a bell curve type thing. You know? Exactly. Yeah. And may, maybe it's that, maybe not. I don't really know. Um, but I, I think that as more people become aware of their options, more people will realize that they don't fit necessarily on one end. And I think same with gender. I think like right now in the pandemic, so many people, uh, what we call like trans eggs were cracked. Like so many mm. people realized in absence of having to interact and interface with the world every day, they were realizing that they were trans of, of some flavor or kind. And I think yep. that that's really going to inform society going forward. Of course, right now we're in, we had all this progressive stuff. We had a black president. And now we're in that backlash period where yep. we're getting yep. puritanical yep. Um, <laughs> legislation. We're getting a bodily autonomy revoked. Mm. Um, so I do worry. Like, I'm, I'm not saying it's all hope. Like, it's definitely worrisome. But I think that we're also going to gain a critical mass. Like, I think that ah. LGBTQ people are going to be the majority possibly, I think, in my lifetime. <laughs> Interesting. And that, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I see what you're saying. So if you, if you, couple, if you couple all those things together, the economic 
divide that's been happening for the last 50 years mm-hmm. since the 70s it's worse than it's been it's yeah yeah all of those right so like you, you couple that you couple i mean the the country is is blacker and, and browner than it than it ever has been and it that's trend that trend is continuing um we're more you know we're realizing our our gender fluidity or our mm-hmm. and our and our just our energy fluidity. I like to call it energy fluidity because, mm. and oh, I wanted to say, I remember you had that um, gender shirt, the mm-hmm. hoodie that said end gender. Mm-hmm. And, I, mm-hmm. and at it's first, that H&M shirt for anyone who knows, H&M, H&M a couple years ago had a green sweatshirt that says gender, but part of it was, part of it was outlined and part of it was filled in letters. So it looked yeah. like it said end, end gender. gender. Yeah. That was super creative. Like the, the creativity of like how it was presented was really good. Mm-hmm. And at first I was like, what do you mean end gender? Like, and then I was like, oh yeah, that makes perfect sense. Um, like five years later. Yeah. But <laughs> also like some would say that's a very like non-binary way of, of, of like, oh, gender, like we should be gender anarchists. And obviously there's like theory written on this. Like I read a bunch of it in college, could not cite it right now, but read like Judith Butler for starts. But like, mm-hmm. uh, end gender, like, you know, for some people who are trans, it's like, actually, no, like I, like, like there's been, I think like trans women will often complain that like. I go out in the world and people ask me my pronouns and I would rather you just look at me and assume I'm a she like, Mm. um, and I think there's, there's nuance to that. And I think again, like similar, there's like discourse around that, that should probably be had behind closed doors. Like it doesn't need to involve cis people to talk about that. But I think that, um, yeah, like some people want to be gender abolitionists and some people just want to be the gender that they are. And so like Mm. to say, like, I, I mean, I still like ungender, but I think, um, I've noticed that there is another side yeah. to that of like if yeah if people who are obviously presenting one way keep getting asked their pronouns they get microaggressed. Mm, I'm, yeah, I mean the hoodie starts the conversation. I think yes, that's yes. that's sorry. That's, I just wanted the to. I, part. Sorry, my brain. No, no, you're good. There. You're good. You're good. And I want to give you credit. That's the first time you said sorry this whole time. Which is oh great. wow! That's really? actually I, we can listen back. We have proof. <laughs> but I I love this. So um, yeah, and I I think I think the idea. Of gender for me, and, and and I don't know if you've heard. So I'm not going to air the impetus for this conversation. But mm-hmm. mom and a friend of hers mm-hmm. were talking about gender identities mm-hmm. with mm-hmm. with grandkids and stuff. And uh, yeah, so and I think and what I was trying to tell tell mom was like everybody reckons with gender identity. Now there is a there is a and ex- there are acceptable lanes of this gender identity. So we, when you think of high school, you think of the guys. Are the guys going to be the nerd? The jock, the gothic kid, the mm-hmm. whatever. They're, those are different styles of masculinity mm-hmm. that they're kind of navigating through. So, like, high school is just when people are figuring that stuff out. And, of course, that's not when they have to have it all figured out. Mm-hmm. But that's one of those critical times in life where you're, like, figuring out what kind of how do I how do mm-hmm. I dress myself? How do I culturally how do I speak mm-hmm. my, my music? Like, how do I present myself to the world? Mm-hmm. Um and so there's already a gender identification, a gender selection within the the false dichotomy of male and female or, or, mm-hmm. or men and women. Um, but really, it's just there should just be way more options. And they should or not even just that they're options. Everybody should just present themselves how they want in a way that that, that feels good to them. Mm-hmm. And there shouldn't be any um, social ostracization. What am I trying to say? Uh, yeah. social down um, stigmatization, stigmatization or, yeah. or and certainly no physical harm mm-hmm. that should come to people for for exhibiting themselves and their and their energy because really that's what it is masculine and with the episode with Ryan we talked about divine masculine and feminine mm. energies which are both within all of us so if we just mm. if we live in a society where it's just, it's safe enough for everybody to exhibit the, that energy balance in the way that's natural for them 
mm-hmm. like okay that's 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 where we should be that's where yeah. we, where, I, where i feel like we, we want to get to. i really vibe with that and i think also for me i i am one of those people who's more like gender is fluid at least for me it feels like it would be um but i think that yeah i think that's really on the on the like on the level of like yeah everyone's figuring out what the what they are in high school and what they are trying to be and i think that everyone has a different like one time uh, i had a friend in college who said to me once i mean granted drunk but like they were like <laughs> everyone has has their own gender like there's no actually two genders that are alike like they looked yeah. at me and they were like kendra your gender is kendra and my gender is their name and like yeah. like you know everyone's gender is actually quite specific if, if you want to go there of course like we get really hoity-toity yes there's these two major lanes on the highway but um i think in college like reading about the concept of like gender fucking just like trying things because everyone should like it doesn't you know maybe you want to go on hormones and just see what it's like and then you decide it's not for you and that's fine and as an adult that's not gonna like not many things are very like you can look it up online i encourage everyone who's curious about that to look it up but like many of the things that happen on hormones reverse if you stop taking them so like people should try things and and what that should that would actually be healthy for people to try different presentations or different ways of moving through the world very interesting um at least in my view and i think um for me and again like i think judith butler butler is you know first of all a white person but second of all like um, I think her writing is very uh, critiqued for being very uh, wordy and very like big words that may, may not be accessible to everyone. But like the concept of gender is performative, gender is performance. It's not necessarily about what we think of as performance. It's actually about how like gender is produced via behaviors. Like you mm. do behaviors every day and that accumulates to your presentation of gender and how you feel about your gender. Like it's not really about any finite truth about you it's not about chromosomes which most people don't know their chromosomes first of all um not necessarily about genitalia it's about the way you make your life and the behaviors yeah. that you align with um yeah that yeah that makes a lot of sense that and i, I hope i'm not miss uh she's been like i think the gender is performative is like been uh bastardized a lot so hopefully i didn't do that but I, i'm pretty sure one of the things that people get wrong about it is like oh it's a performance no 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 she's saying that it's built via reproductions of activity you see something on tv you're like that's feminine i remember as a kid seeing on tv some blonde woman on some tv show just constantly putting her hand through her hair and then i started doing it because i was like oh that's femininity i should copy it like Mm. we create gender through observing and recreating things in our body and then deciding what works for us you know yep Yep. i i I have an example of um just even like simple things around like you know for men some men don't cross their legs in any way like because mm-hmm, it's seen mm-hmm. as effeminate or whatever, which you know, obviously you know that that's a problematic notion. But like, I, I'm just like, yeah, I'm, my body's gonna do what's comfortable. Like, mm-hmm. screw your preconceived notions. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. you know, and that's and that, and I've I've been in spaces where folks have talked about children in that way. Like, oh, would you let your your son, you know. I don't know, cross his legs or, or something mm. like something. And I'm like, I'm like, what? what? <laughs> Are we, is this even a conversation? <laughs> this is such an adult projecting conversation onto the fellas. Onto is it gay to order dessert on a date? I mean, <laughs> a, a real thing that was Twitter discourse years ago. <laughs> I, wow. So yeah. So anyway, like we have to just decouple the, the, well, first the animosity and also the, mm. the, the, the hierarchy mm-hmm. because that's what makes it the problem in the first place. Like yes. the patriarchy makes homophobia, transphobia, um, 
and, and really anti-femininity mm-hmm. a thing. Mm-hmm. And, 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 mm-hmm. and Tony, Tony and I talked about this. It's harmful to men. Yes. As yes. well. Like, we feel like, I mean, you know, anyway, so. No, very valid. Like, patriarchy hurts us all in different ways. Yeah. Um, and especially anyone who also has a racialized experience. I mean, that that's going to harm it even more. Of course, white yeah. men could be considered the people who benefit most from patriarchy, but it still harms them in other ways. Yeah. Like, oh, they're yeah. not allowed to express emotions, et cetera, et cetera. Oh, yeah. I'm not going to go all into it, but like... Yeah. It, and then that in turn is harmful to the women and anybody exactly. around them, their children, whatever, so... Yeah, and yeah. this whole thing with like trying out gender, looking looking for different tropes of gender, like reproducing like things like that, I think um, it just, you know, maybe I tried putting my hair through my hand through my hair a few times and realized I have curly hair, it doesn't really work. Mm. Um, but also I think people my age are just much more goofy about gender. Like, and I love that. I think it's playful. I think it can be fun. And I think that like, for example, uh, in 2020, because it was COVID, I remember I came to stay at mom's house. Like it felt like I was home from college break because I, <laughs> I stayed with her for like three weeks, yeah. um, because we were in different pods. And I like get to her house and I unpack and I unpack my Nintendo Switch and I immediately start playing Breath like Zelda Breath of the Wild and like strewing my stuff across and I was just like, yep, her youngest son is home. <laughs> and like, no, I'm I'm her daughter, but I, who's to say I'm not? Also, her youngest son like drinking Mountain Dew and playing video. I wasn't drinking Mountain Dew, but you know what I mean. That yeah. image, I was like, this is youngest son stuff of just like, okay, I'm home. You have cookies for me. I'm gonna play video games. <laughs> that's that's a really. I I really appreciate the 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 that perspective and allowing yourself to see it in that way, um, and I love that you use the word play because mm-hmm. in the episode with Ryan we got to that point where it was like there's there like there's a play mm-hmm. with like the the energies within us and and interactively as well like as humans we 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 play with each other like we 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 talk we we converse we we share mm-hmm. energy. I, so that I, I yeah well in mm. high school I had a really good friend who to my knowledge like still still presents as a man but like in high school he had a phase there was a couple weeks where he was like wearing his mom's earrings and like wearing his mom's jacket just to see what it was like and I uh, that's beautiful like yeah, I, I, yeah. we should all and the thing is when you do that in a patriarchal society people are gonna make fun of you yeah. um, and I even like same group of friends like in middle school I remember being made fun of for being like tall and kind of like masculine sometimes and it's like yeah. We we are taught to see gender digression and or sorry gender transgression as like something to point out and ridicule people for. Mm. But I think I, and trans- I hope as things change, I, I imagine it's also different geographically. I feel like yeah. he, here and now in uh, the DMV, it's probably not as much like this in the places we grew up. But like, yeah, we should embrace that rather than ridicule it. But the thing is, kids are taught to ridicule it and kids are taught to be shamed about it. Yeah. and feel shameful about it but it's actually very natural and healthy to explore those feelings and explore different presentations I, do you remember me doing that i feel like i remember like hmm. i don't know if it was your clothes or, or some, I, I feel like i i when i was a kid i don't even know how old i would have been you might not have even been old enough to remember now. i was gonna I say i probably wasn't old enough to remember that's great <laughs> I, I really feel like i i I guess it must have been mom's clothes or something i feel like i did that at, at one point in my life just mm-hmm. like personifying like a woman or just like you know yeah, exhibiting yeah. feminine femininity like i with, definitely with, there's a random pair oh, of running so shorts that were the same color as our high school that i found like when i was going to college and i i assumed they were yours but they were also kind of short i don't really know oh yeah but i started wearing them and i was like it's kind of cool because they're short they didn't look wrong but i was also like i think these are my brothers it's kind of they funny. were they were my track running shoes <laughs> yes, running I was like, <laughs> like when i told people they were my brothers they were like really <laughs> <laughs> but yeah i think yeah and that's I think being the youngest, the 
the younger sister of two big brothers, it actually allowed me like a lot of, because a lot of times the things y'all wanted to share with me were like boyish things. And I, I, I'm not the most boyish kid. Like, you know, I wasn't the most boyish, but like y'all taught me how to tackle. Y'all would try to like wrestle with me. Um, and I think that's, that's fun. And like, yeah, yeah. of course, as the youngest, as the only uh, daughter with two older brothers, that's what you're going to learn. I also learned how to eat so insanely fast. That's probably not healthy. <laughs> Sorry, but... <laughs> that's bad. My bad. But yeah, I, I just think that everyone actually has a very different gender experience. And I think between like, but between us, like with being the only daughter, like I think there's also ways I relate to our mom very differently from y'all. And I think that's come up more recent, like in the last year, we've kind yeah. of talked more about that of yeah. like, I think I connect with her emotionally in a way that I sometimes I look at how all three of us treat her and I'm like, this is wrong. Or like, Oh, we should be nicer to mom or like, Oh, she actually like, you know, I think, yeah. um, I think I sometimes have a little bit more in tune with her and maybe that's also being the youngest and being like, you know, some people are the oldest child and they get adultified because their parent treats them as a second parent or a third parent or whatever, mm-hmm. you know, for a lot of my friends, second parent or third parent. Um, but I think for me being the youngest, it's like, y'all out of the house and mom's just like okay so so this is what's happening here and this is what's going on here and like i ended up getting a lot of information that way just from her naturally sharing with me because i'm the youngest and i just happen to be there they just didn't care anymore is what it is (laughs) no no but i do think yeah and i i told you before like one of my formative experiences is just like sitting in the same room as mom on the phone talking to like making calls to her sisters and calls to her friends and just hearing in a sense like a a verbal or sorry what's it the like an auditory version of like a family newsletter like we never were the type of family to put out a newsletter but i was sitting there hearing mom retell the same stories to all the sisters three four yeah. five different people yeah, and yeah. internalizing like I, we talked about how i even internalized events that happened to you based on how she was referring to them to other people and so that becomes my story in my head of what happened um, she was right <laughs> <laughs> so anyway i just think that's that's interesting too yeah definitely that's awesome well, this has been a great conversation on, I guess, what I'll call the millennial divide. Sure, yeah. I do want to jump back to D&D stuff. Um, sure. Just to kind of ta- tackle that. I, honestly, I feel like that could be an entire we could episode. Do a whole other epi- we, could, we could do a D&D podcast, my brother. Hey, if you need to, pro- I, I produce podcasts. If you, I know. If you, if, you, if, you, if you want to have a co-host, you know, I can just be in the background, do, do, the, do have, the knobs. I've and- had friends say I should do a D&D podcast. I'm just like, I don't know if I really, I want to be be that but we'll see maybe yeah let me know let me know <laughs> but that, we day. can we can definitely tap in a little bit um mm-hmm. before we close today just to kind of yeah. touch touch on what what's got you motivated to do it and and especially bringing in the, the um the inclusion mm-hmm. efforts that you're putting in yeah i've been really interested and invested in trying to de decolonialize my play of D and it's hard because i think D is essentially on like the the way D best functions and the way it's designed to function is like you are, someone said this on Twitter, you are a good guy with a gun. So everything you do is right. And you just like, you, you don't always have to, some people play D&D in a, in a way where you don't really have to think about right and wrong. You are just always right because you are the player. So mm. if you accidentally kill some people, that just kind of happens. Um, and, and that's, you know, I've played D&D in ways where, yeah, where random fictional people in our, in our game world die for no reason. And it's kind of sad, but it's also a game and it's not a real person. And you move on. Um, but the players I play with now are really invested in being more justice minded as players in the world. And so, um, what I use for my world, it's a homebrew setting, but it's based heavily on things that I did not create. Um, one being the Wagadu, 
uh, setting, which is uh, Twin Drums is a game development company. They're making an MMO, like a, an online uh, video game. Um, but they also made a 5e, a D&D 5e 5th edition um, setting. And so I used that PDF, which is free online. If you Google Wagadu, you can find it. Um, you just have to put in your email to their newsletter. You get the PDF. And I also bought the um, Islands of Sina Una, which is a 5e setting supplement uh, made all by Filipino people um, mm. or all by like Asian American people, I think. Um and the setting is supposed to be a pre-colonial Philippines. Um, so they have mm. ideas about like who the gods are, who the monsters are, who the like shape changers are, all this stuff. And I put those together, made a map. And um, my my group of players is everyone is black except for one person. And everyone is trans except for one person. And the person oh. who's not trans is a lesbian. So, okay. um, so it's, it's a very LGBT. It's a very black centered space. Um, and everyone in the world is a person of color. Like every, all the players are people of color. Even the white player is playing a bird um, who, who was a halfling. Um, halfling being a hobbit because D&D, you know, intellectual property issues. So hobbits from the Lord of the Rings are halflings in, in D&D. But Anyway, all this to say is um, you can use this, the structure of D&D and still be mindful about things. D&D has within it like an alignment system that's like good, evil, lawful, chaotic. And that's all dumb. Like, <laughs> and, or It's all silly. It's all silly. And I think my players are all really interested in playing morally gray characters with morally gray mm. gods and things like mm. that. So we have a paladin in D&D paladin is a holy warrior so they usually have a god that they worship and then they are as a class it's very much about killing things and and and, uh fighting things but also has healing abilities also has a little bit of spells so our paladin who is played by my partner um their god is a trickster god that's sometimes really heinous and sometimes fine and sometimes playful um and my the one white player um is a person who has had a curse placed on them and that's why they're a bird currently um so yeah we just we have a lot of fun we have um we have some eladrin which in a lot of D lore uh elves and eladrin high elves are usually like these like they're usually characterized as being like old white british people and elves in D lore are usually like the most indigenous group they're like mm. fey touched so they're just like as old as the land and they live to be th- hundreds of years old I really like media that makes fun of that. <laughs> and that being said, in my world, there's not Caucasian people. So mm. the elves are black <laughs> and they, they can be, they, they are the indigenous people, or maybe they are. We'll, we'll see in our campaign how that goes. Um, but yeah, it's a lot of fun. Um, and in terms of media that I really like that influences my D and watch a lot of dimension 20 and uh, dimension 20 will like often in their series when they bring in high elves it's usually to make fun of them they usually make fun of like why would people who are 100 like what would it be like if there's just this group of people who've been hanging out for hundreds of years and they're not helping the politics of the rest of the world they're not helping like all these things are going on in the rest of the world and they're just like chilling and they make fun of that and they go there and they're like oh yes these people who are just kind of dancing in the woods and they don't pay attention and they trail off in the middle of their sentence because they live so long that they like forget time. <laughs> and I think that's great. Um, but yeah, I, I like Dimension 20. I also like Transplaner, which is an all trans uh, actual play stream. Um, I listen to Three Black Halflings a lot, which is a podcast. Um, you mentioned that one to me. Yeah, yeah. Three Black Halflings is, is cool. I really like uh, their actual plays some of their talk episodes. 
Um, and yeah, they're who introduced me to the Walgadu PDF. They, um, they've interviewed the person who made it. Um, he's actually a mixed race person from Italy. He's half uh, Ghanaian and half Italian. Cool. Um, who developed that. So a lot of cool stuff. Uh, I think I'm just kind of like giving a sprinkling of like the different things and thoughts I have. But I think there's like things about play style, uh, things about morality and whether or not there's like a obvious good and evil. Um, and I think there's also like, are you fighting? A lot of D&D modules or like adventures will have you going to a place and then having to fight the people who are from that place. And it's like, that's a little colonial. Yeah. So <laughs> right. um, I think some people who have tried to do more like less European-based D&D, you find that you're dealing with more environmental issues mm. or you're dealing with beasts that will, like, that see you as prey, so you, ha- you have to kill them because otherwise they're going to kill you. Like, more like man versus wild sort of things, which also can be very European and colonialist, but that yeah. more so than going to a place and accidentally killing everyone there and right. then deciding you're going to create a new political structure for them. That's a lot of D&D games will be like, oops, we killed the leader. I guess we need to put in a new leader. Yeah. I guess that's our job because we did it. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but yeah. Very conquistador-esque. Yes, very much that. Another thing, um, that I think I do a little bit differently, I, someone on Twitter was just like, how many gods are in your D&D pantheon? And I was like, I literally do not know. At least 30, but probably hundreds. <laughs> and mm. I think that they were like, oh, don't you feel like you lose control as a DM if you do that? And I was like, no, I think that I have made a world that's super polytheistic. And like, so all of my players, if they wanted to worship a God, they they had full ability to make up whatever God that they worshiped and I would put it into the campaign. So I think that's another thing is like not worrying so much. I, I think it's fun sometimes. Like I've listened to like um, campaign two of NADPOD, not, a, not another D&D podcast, another one of the only all white D&D things I consume. <laughs> Um, their second campaign takes place in a world, Eldermorn, and it's very specific. There's like three or four gods and that's it. And I think that can be very fun. But in terms of trying to build this like very vibrant people of color centered thing, that that's not what was in my mind for that. So, mm. yeah, cool. sorry. I think I rambled more than more than necessary. No, that's good. It's, it's good to see like you're kind of layering in some of historically what's what 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 D is or i guess by default what D is and mm-hmm. then how you're how you're adapting and how you're molding it to fit you and your community and and we're just really just a contemporary community i should say mm-hmm. um to make it inclusive that's 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 yeah. super dope oh also my world is very gay very trans most of the npcs are queer or trans like in some way just because why not you're making up a world why can't you make up the people you literally yeah which which i mean i mentioned nk jemison earlier like oh yeah like yeah. some of like i read I, I read the um, Broken Earth trilogy, and I know you, mm-hmm. you read it a little after I did. And just the I, it's it's so ter- like it's terrible when you see like you know Game of Thrones or mm-hmm. whatever all these like fantastical you know Star Wars. Like I got the kid; he watched mm-hmm. all the Star Wars movies over the course of a few months, mm-hmm. and it's and it's and and they're great. They're great stories, mm-hmm. but it's like you lose nothing. In fact, you probably gain a lot by having a lot more diversity mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. i'm just using that word broadly mm-hmm. in 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 the te- in the story itself mm-hmm. and and you know it's neither here nor there because yeah. whatever but but so anyway i appreciate what you're doing yeah yeah so in it, there's a place in my world where it's a city and it's very orderly it's a little bit like bossing say from avatar where it's mm. like there's tall walls um the culture there from the wagadu pdf there's like um a culture that's really around steel copper uh, gold and silver. It's really about like those minerals and materials. And then there's um, a different one that's very elemental in nature. Basically, these people are in this uh, town and it's very orderly. I, for world building purposes, kind of made up this political structure where 
it's actually very common to be like you, you, pronouns are, you know, he, she, and they are very common. The thing is, and, and like marrying same sex is very common. The thing is for their record keeping, because they are such an orderly place, they require that every married couple that the people have different pronouns. They can be the same gender. They just like someone, if you know, you have two, she, hers getting married, one of them's going to quote unquote, take the they just so that in the records of this time, you know, because um, in this place also, the political structure is such that the married couple is the unit rather than like an individual, like, you know, it's not like one ruler. It's like a married couple is taking a seat at this, at this ah, council. Interesting. So for that purpose to know which huh. one did which thing you need to know, which, so the pronouns need to be different to be for different. that reason only because they're sharing huh. the last name. Interesting. Um, silly idea just came out of my head and I told my players this, it came up in a, in a conversation, they were reading someone's diary and they're like, what does this take the they? So, um, we explained it through like one of the characters explained, oh yeah, this is the thing in the culture. And one of the other players was like, oh, neo pronouns must be huge in that culture. And I was like, I am writing that down because D and D is collaborative storytelling and you just added a detail that makes a lot of sense like yeah, yeah the kids are gonna be like i'm making up other pronouns i don't want to use i don't want to take the they i'm gonna be fey i'm gonna be z or zay yeah so that's awesome <laughs> that's another really cool. fun thing yeah it's fun to just let people tell you what they want in the world and add it in like you know yeah. and if it doesn't fit in the place you are say it happened somewhere else like yeah. it's and it's still part of the world that's cool that's awesome. I appreciate you doing that, and I and I'm glad that that uh, you you made it available to to my kiddo and his friend, and I definitely want to replicate that um, either with more kids or just do another another a rerun of that same uh, not the same one but that's the mm-hmm, same mm-hmm. group. We can make a campaign if he wants to do it like regularly. We can yeah. we can do something where we go on and build up to a big story. Yeah. yeah, no, definitely. I think I think he will. I mean, his mind, I mean, you know, you know him. He's, he's, yeah, he's a world he's builder. Creative. And creative <laughs> as hell. Yeah, for sure. For sure. So, um, yeah, I definitely am interested in keep in keeping that, that fire lit and burning for him. So yeah, definitely. Yep. Cool. Well, as we get towards the end of the episode, I always ask the guests a few questions. Mm-hmm. Uh, first one is what's the last book you read and do you recommend it? Ooh, so this is tough. I thought I was going to finish the book I'm currently reading by now. I'm really enjoying, and I'm in the last last couple chapters of She Who Became the Sun mm. by Shelley Parker Chan. Um, it's in my backpack. Um, one of my roommates gave it to me for my birthday, and it's been really interesting. It's uh, It takes place in a period in China. I want to say it's like the 1350s. Um, mm. And it's like a historical fiction with a little bit of fantasy in it. And it's been really good. I'm curious to see how it ends. Um, The last book I finished, which I recommended to all my friends and we're going to have a book club about, is uh, The Seven Husbands of Evelyn Hugo. Mm. Much more of a beach read. I read it in like two or three days. Um, But it was it was fun. I mean, not without its flaws, but it was a fun little like... uh, fake memoir of a Hollywood starlet and it had like some themes of LGBTQ stuff and things. And so I I shared it with friends and they all like read it really quick and we're (laughs) waiting for the last few stragglers so we can have a book club. Nice. So it's like a post read book club, not a, not a, not a during read book club. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and the book actually had book club questions at the end of it. It's, um, seven husbands of Evelyn Hugo by Taylor Jenkins Reid. I want to say, um, cool. But yeah, it's, it's, it was, it was published a few years ago. It's very popular. So nice. Um, and she who became the sun is also recent. Um, it's very, I think what people say is kind of like Mulan vibes. It has like, what's interesting to me about that book and I'm not going to give spoilers, but it follows multiple characters that are all oppressed by patriarchy in different ways. They have different Mm. genders among the different characters, but they all 
in some way are failing at the patriarchal, patriarchal norms, norms that pa- they're supposed to fulfill. Yeah. I would like that book. Interesting. Okay, cool. All right. Next question is, what superpower would you possess if you could have a superpower? Ooh. I feel like such a cop out to say, like, shape-shifting, but I feel like so many people I know would say, like, yeah, if I could just change how I look every day, that would be really fun. Yeah. (laughs) Now, see, I... I I, I also like flying and invisibility, but... (laughs) (laughs) I always do this because I'm I'm a recovering engineer. When you say Mm shape-shifting, is it like within sentient beings is it just in human short form is it like mm. what are the limits can you like like duplicate mass and just be ma- extremely huge can you really compress mass and be really tiny can you be a fly on the wall that everybody wants to be sometimes here's the thing i would take it at any of those i would take it if it was just within human features changing mm. my my form or even like not even changing my height just changing like aspects of my form but i mean shoot if i could turn into a fly or a horse or a cat that to be a cat uh, ah, yeah to be a cat adopted by someone who's just gonna let you lay around not paying rent all day <laughs> sounds nice that's that's fair <laughs> fair enough cool that's awesome last question what song are you rocking to right now <laughs> cue the jeopardy music oh you don't even know what that is because you're I guess- no. <laughs> Jeopardy with Grandma, and also in high school, me and me and my high school boyfriend would watch it all the time. I know, I'm just teasing. Um, da, 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 da. Ooh, okay. Uh, lately, I've been every every couple years, I come back to "Best of My Love" by The Emotions and just rock to it for a while. So that song is perennially on my "What Am I Rocking To?" Nice, very good. All right, well, thank you so much, Kendra, for joining me on the show. This has been a pleasure to talk through all these different things, and I. It seems like every time I have a guest, it's like, oh, we should do more of these because there's definitely some more things we could we could explore. That's yep. certainly true with you. So hopefully we can do it again some other time. Mm-hmm. Um, in the meantime, though, if you want the folks to reach out to you in any way, is there any information or, or, or blogs? You mentioned the blog. Um, yeah. how, how would you like folks to, to keep tabs on what you're doing? So my very sparsely populated blog is dragonborndruid.wordpress.com. Um, and if you are on Twitter... I have a Twitter account linked to it, so all my posts get shared there. It's at DragonbornDruid. That's dragon, the word dragon, the word born, and then druid is D-R-U-1-D. So the druid is spelled with a one. Um, yeah, we should do this again so I can negate everything I said today with new <laughs> opinions in two weeks. This is a safe <laughs> space for that. That is for sure. That is for sure. All right. Well, as always, you can reach out to me at RealDadult on instagram that's r-e-a-l-d-a-d-u-l-t thank you for rocking with me i hope to catch you here next time until then be safe be well peace peace Show with YouTube, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And as always, thank you.